listening to the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'm your host, Jane Nakata, a New Zealander living her best life in Fukushima, Japan. I'm a podcast consultant and the creator of Pod Launch with Jane, a system that helps you create your dream podcast without all the drama and hassle, leaving you more free time to do the things you love to do. This show is for people who want to hear stories of women who are doing amazing things here in Japan and across the world. You'll find loads of inspiration for how you can live your best life wherever you are. I'm glad you're here. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'm the host of the show, Jane Nakata, coming to you from Iwaki City in Fukushima Prefecture, Japan. How awesome is it that we are into September and it's getting cooler and people are in school. We've had a few typhoons and the typhoon day of school the other week. I think my kids went to school two days last week because of Silver Week with those holidays on each end of the week and then typhoon day. They went to school on Wednesday and Thursday and I was like, how is it the weekend again already? But we managed and yeah, it's been such nice weather. I've really enjoyed being outside and, you know, I really wanted to sit down outside and enjoy having like a barbecue or even just drinking my coffee outside. But the mosquitoes are just insane right now. There are so many out there and they find you in about two seconds. So I think they must be extra hungry at this time of the year or something. So I haven't really been able to enjoy my outdoor lifestyle here in Iwaki just yet, but hopefully the cooler weather will come and we'll be able to, but it's one of my favorite times of the year. So I'm so happy to be in September. Also, my mum is coming to Japan. I have not seen my mum for three years. The last time I saw her was in the summer holidays of 2019, when we went to New Zealand for a month. And shortly after that, we actually moved to Sweden and we were planning to have her come and visit us in Sweden. But you may know how that turned out with COVID kicking off and international travel being cancelled. Finally, Japan is opening the border to all travelers very soon. As I record this, it's the end of September and in a couple more weeks, the border will be open for anyone. And I was planning to bring my mum under the family visa category, but we no longer need to go through that rigmarole uh, to get her into the country. So really excited to have her coming at the start of November for the first time in three years. Goodness me. But today I would like to tell you a little bit about a guest we have coming on the show. Her name is Dr. Nairi A. Bakalian, and she's actually right now in the United States, but I struggled to meet someone who loves Japan or a particular part of Japan more than Nairi does. And today she's coming on the show to talk a little bit about Shinto. And I met Nairi on LinkedIn through one of our previous guests on the show, Michelle Fuji. And we connected over the topic of Shinto. So Nairi is going to tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a practitioner of Shinto and how that works, even though she's in the United States at the moment, and she'd really love to get back to Japan. So I hope you enjoy the show. So Nairi, welcome to the Transformations with Jane podcast. It's great to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. 
So if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and just telling our listeners why you're here today, what's your connection with Japan? That would be great. So I am Nairi A. Bakalian. My doctorate is from the University of Pittsburgh. I, I graduated in 2011. My doctoral thesis was on the history of the Boshin War in the Tohoku region. I lived in Sendai in 2005. I am a, an adherent of the Hachiman faith, which is part of Shinto. Um, I am a podcaster on Japanese history and also a podcaster on my lived experience as a practitioner of Shinto uh, in the Anglosphere here in the United States. Yeah, wow. That's a lot of very in-depth Japanese things that you know about. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. I'm going to call them things. <laughs> have you on the show today? Yeah. The reason that I was really, my interest was really piqued when I first came across you on LinkedIn, it was through one of our guests, yes. Michelle Fuji, um, introduced mm -hmm. me to you, um, mm -hmm. was the Shinto connection. Because yes. personally, I am a religious studies major my university mm -hmm. days and so i studied all the world religions i did not focus very much on the asian religions more the western religions as they're called um mm -hmm. and so when i found you this western person practitioner of shinto i was like wow i really have to ask mm -hmm. this person more obviously i have some friends who have a shinto shrine themselves mm -hmm. friends of mine here in iwaki who i go to with my shinto questions like why why are you doing that or you know what is that? What is that? But they struggle to have in-depth conversations with me about Shinto or even, uh, you know, how, how does, how do you do it? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> how do you do Shinto? So I'm hoping we can, yeah, learn some things, find out some new things. You can teach sure. us a little bit about it. That would be really great. So how sure. did you come to be a practicing Shinto follower? So you are Hachiman Ujiko. What does that mean? So an Ujiko is a parishioner of a shrine, mm -hmm. uh, and my home shrine is in Sendai. It's the shrine Kameoka Hachimangu, the clan shrine of the Date family, which founded Sendai in 1600. I lived in, as I said, I lived in Sendai in 2005, and I myself am Armenian. I am American-born, mm. but I was raised in Lebanon, and I come from a very, very, very long line of Armenian Protestant clergy. Okay. Wow. And it's not exactly where you would imagine Hachimanji Ujiko to come from, right? It's, 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 you know, it's a very, it's, it was a very weighty legacy to grow up with because in the Armenian diaspora, you know, there are places where I would be recognized not for me, but for who my grandfather was. Oh, wow. Or who my great grandfather was. Mm. Um, it, it, it really got it. Like as a kid, it was really annoying. You know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, you know, nowadays I try to see it in terms of like honoring the ancestors, like, mm. you know, the, the, the Mitama no Kami, you know, my yeah. ancestors, like, okay, that's very, I'm, I'm touched that you, that you see that in yeah. me, but growing up, it was a pain in the butt. Right. <laughs> sure it, it's just like why can't you see me for me for goodness yeah, sake I'm a person you know, add, too, to that yeah. the fact, add to that the fact that I'm, I'm queer and uh, you know just it it, it it was it was like you know why, why won't you just accept me on for me on my own terms mm. so but growing up yeah you know, growing up in a long line of clergy growing up a pastor's daughter you know, there was a lot expected of me and mm. the community always thought that, and, you know, 
folks out there in listener land who are uh, pastor's kids themselves might might know very well that um, you know when you're a pastor's kid you, you're kind of expected to have the inside line to God. Um, oh yeah, you must know it all, right? Like right, exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. you're you're held to a higher standard of <laughs> yes, holiness and yes. you know and so on. Yeah. And it was just empty, empty motions. Yeah, sure. it was like this doesn't mean anything to me. This is mm-hmm. you know, this is very nice. You know, I still listen to the like. I'm not. I wasn't Orthodox. I was Armenian Protestant. And this is a just a just like the the drive-by postage stamp version <laughs> is that Armenian Protestantism originated in Istanbul in the 1840s, right. not in the Reformation in Europe in the 16th century. Um, but uh, you know, I I was I, I grew up. I uh, growing up. I I, I was in the um, uh, Orthodox schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some times in my life. And so I got to experience some of the Armenian Orthodox liturgy. And I still listen to that from time to time. It's still comforting because it's cultural heritage. Sure. But just in terms of in like religious practice, it just didn't mean anything to me. It's like, what, why, what is this? Like, it's very, I mean, it was very laden with very patriarchal, very, you know, was, you know, cis heterosexual uh, mm. demands, you know, guilt sure. and shame. And, and it just, it, it was, it was, it was such a burden. And then I went to Japan in 2005 for my study abroad semester. Was and that, I don't know uh, what I, I was expecting. There? Can I just say, I... What, what, why Japan? Sure, sure. Why Japan? For the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, be, that's because when I was about 18 years old, yeah. I watched an anime that was set in the Meiji period. And I started asking questions about, oh, who are these? Like, this is supposedly Ooh. a historical anime. Who are these people? Right. Um, and that's how I got interested in Tohoku history, because one of the characters was kind of the, the famous adopted son of Aizu in the 1870s, uh, one of the Shinsengumi captains, right. Saito Hajime. Okay. Um, so I kind of dug from there and sort of mm. you know, went, went into it from that angle. Um, I went to Ursinus College for my bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. And Ursinus College's sister school is Tohoku Gaku in Daigaku in oh, Sendai. Nice. Mm-hmm. So through the exchange program, I went to Tohoku Gakuin. Um, the program was, I was not happy because it was very, it, you know, I didn't understand yet that I had ADHD. All I knew is that I was ridiculously bored. Okay. And then I realized that the only thing I had to do was pass the final exam at the end of the semester. Uh. And they didn't take attendance. <laughs> So I just cut class. Right, right. I just I hear it's I, quite common. I yeah. was bored out of my mind. I, you know, I didn't want to. I didn't want to be there to study economics. Like I, I was a, I was an East Asian studies major at Ursinus. Right. You know why? Why are you making me? Why are you making me suffer through this? Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I just cut class. So one day, you know, I, I, uh, I remember, I was very angry about something that my teacher had. One of my teachers had said. And he just like he he wouldn't you know he was he was he was you know he was frustrating me and his life was frustrating me and I was still angry at you know, angry at like being forced to be part of my parents' religion and all the very empty rote you know right. uh, mm. motions that it that it it demanded of me. Mm. So I took a walk. I lived on the north side of town. I took the subway into into uh, Albaku. And then I walked through the sweltering humidity <laughs> to Osaki Hachiman Shrine okay. on the day of its Matsuri, of the, the mm. day side. 
And the moment I passed through the upper Tori was the moment that my life changed forever. Oh my God. Because, and it's, it's starting from, it's starting from that point that I recognize myself in hindsight as being something like the same person I am today. Yeah. Um, something clicked for my entire life until that point, I was lectured about, you know, the divine, about God, about, you know, this thing is supposed to be part of my life, but just isn't there. What is it? Where? you know where where is it why why isn't it there and then yeah this is very you know this is very you know uh, 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 subjective like this is very you know I'm, this is my experience yeah just my specific experience, experience. Yeah. and you know i'm not i'm not like I, I i try to be very careful about that like i'm not i'm not trying to preach here you know mm-hmm. uh you know having come from a christian background especially yeah. i want to make like i always try to be abundantly clear i'm not preaching here um <laughs> yeah but I remember coming through the Tori and just something in that moment felt like being embraced. Wow. And there was a, it it was like, there was a, like in the spaces between my breaths and in the wind and the trees and the commotion of the crowd. And just in that moment, it was, I just, I just started sobbing. And I sat down on the wall under the, under the big Tori on on the top of the hill you know, as the festival was going on around me and I had my face in my hands and I would say, mm. I just kept saying, I found you, I found you. Mm. Um, oh my God. And my life has never been the same since then. No. Wow. I had um, full body goosebumps when you were telling me that story just now. Oh my goodness. What Thank an you. amazing story about finding and so unexpected, right? You weren't looking for it. You just sort of wandered into this situation and yeah. Then- this place obviously it's it's a magical spot shrines tend to be magical spots yes yeah and yeah yeah, it was waiting for you goodness me and what happened next tell us the rest of the story (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's funny it's funny like years years down the road you know i've been involved in uh uh, online anglophone shinto spaces and some of the you know the folks who come in there will go well which kami should i venerate and it's just i think back to that day on the hill in <laughs> sendai and i think it doesn't work that way it's not about That's specific not- kami or right yeah and you're not yeah. trying to co- you're not trying to collect them and i've had like a number of ah. friends including my including my co-host zoe uh, on the Clara mm. podcast, who have reported that it's been a, it's kind of a similar experience of, it's not that I chose them, they kind of tapped me on the shoulder, the Kami kind of tapped me on the shoulder, like, you know, I'd like your attention, please. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I it have, sort of went from yeah. there. Yeah, I have this sort of similar kind of experience with a particular shrine as well. I mentioned to you, um, mm-hmm. my uh, friends who have a shrine like they're the like 89th generation to have this particular shrine and when i go there it's it's not i'm not shinto but i feel like yeah there's something there there's it's this yeah and when i take people there they say wow this is really special i'm like right yeah they feel it too yeah in that particular space it's the second oldest shrine in japan or one of the second oldest shrines in japan huh hmm imoto onsen jinja onsen jinja huh yeah I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. You should have. (laughs) But it's very small and unassuming. And when you go there, it's not a massive big, you know, um, is it called a honden? Honden, yeah. Yeah, the big building or anything. Everything is very small Mm -hmm. and, and unassuming. But there's a there's a something there and I feel it when I go there. And when I uh, was sent away to Sweden with my husband's job, 
and we moved after we moved back to uh, Iwaki. It mm-hmm. was when I went back to that that shrine that I was like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. back. I'm home. I'm back in Japan. I yeah. feel like I'm here. I'm home now. I just until then I'd been kind of stuck between the two countries. So yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. you know it's really interesting to notice that about these special places that. Yeah. Shrines tend to be located and, and yeah. I don't know what it is there, but yeah. Anyway, go on. Tell us more. What happened next? <clears throat> yeah. So so I just I I you know I was there that I was there until until the you know the, until that day of the of the Matsuri let out and I walked all the way home and or not didn't walk all the way home. I walked all the way back to the subway and sort of you know rode back in silence and just it, it, my life has never been the same. It mm. just you know I I the thing that I had looked for for you know for two decades at that point mm. was there but it was this you know it was this deity of this other country <laughs> in this other city yeah and i was like okay what do i do with this yeah, what, yeah. you know if if this is if this is if this is you know i'm like and it took a while for me to actually like to 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 begin to develop something resembling a you know, an under like a like a, a a better understanding of it to the point that I could have something I could like honestly call a practice, like a daily you know practice. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, it, it and you know, I should I should underline here, it was Osaki Hachiman that I went to the you know the Kokuho, the the national treasure site. Right. Um, but my well, the shrine that I think of as my as my my home shrine is Kameoka Hachiman, which is okay. a different shrine to Hachiman Sama, across the Hirose River, closer to Mount Alba, mm-hmm. and it's specifically Kameoka Hachimangu that's the clan shrine of the Date family, which I had begun to study in my scholarly career at that mm. point, and I felt like you know if I was going to be if I was going to be investing so much of myself into studying the you know House Date of Sendai that I should get to know their particular enshrining of this Kamisama, and so that's why I'm that's, getting body tingles again. I'm like, difference. what what is happening? It's... I'm getting body tingles about you every time you talk about this connection <laughs> between the Date family and yeah weird, and so weird. so <laughs> so Kameo, kameoka hachimangu is very unlike osaki hachiman in that it is as you said about the you know yumoto onsen jinja unassuming yeah it's very small yeah it looks bigger than it is because it's on top of a hill right but it's very small right and um you know if you didn't know its history already you would miss it right yeah. yeah, the the mm. foot the tourism the foot traffic goes to mm. Osaki Hachiman up the road because that's the you know the, the mm. yeah the Kokuho and it's got the uh, the supposedly Hidari Jingoro sculptures on the on the outside of the Honden and so on and it's mm-hmm. gold it's got gold and okay so it looks, and looks pretty it, fantastic it right? looks pretty it's it's grandiose mm. but Osaki or Kameoka Hachiman by contrast is small you know there's a there's these 300 plus stone steps to go all the way to the top of the hill. Oh wow. And there's a bunch of them there's a bunch of them that are there's a bunch of them that are in questionable state. Oh wow. And you know yeah. it's sort of this very you know very paradoxically very quiet uh very unassuming place. Mm-hmm. Um but it sort of became and again this gets more into the subjective stuff but it became part of you know it became part of what helped me find the strength to you know, come out as queer and mm-hmm. to, you know, to stand up and like, 
make my own life and my own identity just regardless of what my parents or what my ethnic community would say you know i, mm. I would always i would pray to hachiman sama and um you know, when we say Hachiman Okami, this is, this is a term that's a triune, this, the, the, this is an entity that's triune, it's three beings who share one title. Mm -hmm. um, and two of the three at Kameoka Hachiman are women. Wow. So, you know, I, I, I took to thinking of Hachiman-sama as kind of a mother figure. And so I would, mm -hmm. you know, I, I would, I would, uh, you know, I would, I would pray, especially in grad school, a lot of the time was you know, my, my, my prayer, like riding the bus into riding the bus into another, into another, into another, into another dissertation meeting would be like, mm. mother, please open the way. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and, and if you, th if you think, if you think about it, if you think about it, you know, if you read like the Heike Monogatari or so on, um, what is the instance in which you see Hachiman Okami mentioned? It's when a warrior wants to take the long shot the impossible mm -hmm. shot, you know, uh, Nasa no Yoichi and people like that who want to land the impossible shot mm -hmm. and go home safe. Yeah. Um, and so it always, that sort of became, that sort of, that was also part of, became part of my sense of my relationship to this deity is like, you know, okay, I feel like life is overwhelming and I can't make it through, but help me land the impossible shot, open the way, help me come home. Mm-hmm. And so I drew great strength from that. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's not so much, you know, it's very unlike, it's very unlike the idea of, you know, that I grew up with in church of, you know, God being a comforter. It's more, you know, the divine helping you up and, and saying, okay, go back. You know, don't shy away from the battle. Go back, pick up the bow and shoot back. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, and, you know, for someone who grew up as disempowered as I did, you know, mm -hmm. in, the, in the Armenian diaspora, where, you know, you have to subordinate your own interests, your own desires, your own needs to the needs of the community and the survival of the community. You know, it was really, it was a, you know, no pun intended, it was a godsend, you know. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So that shaped, wow. that shaped, uh, that shaped a lot of where my life went since then. You know, right. I, I went to grad school, I did my MA and PhD, my PhD just got released from embargo last Friday. So people who want to read it can read it. What does um, that mean? That means Plus that it people was who are not academics and don't know. <laughs> so, so what that means, what that means is that one of the conditions under which I deposited my doctoral thesis was that uh, it would be restricted to the University of Pittsburgh's archive for a period of five years. Okay. That just elapsed last Friday. Right. Oh wow. Is that a congratulations or not? Like <laughs> that is a that is a congratulations. Yeah. 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 My writing style is very different now. Right. But if people want to read it, they can read it. You know, right. it's a very in-depth history of the Tohoku region, you know, and it's nominally about the Boshin War, but it's actually about the long roots of local semi-autonomy right. in Tohoku, mm -hmm. sort mm -hmm. of as a region that in, in the words of, I think it was Amino Yoshihiko, uh, as a historian of the, of the of the, I think the 1970s and 80s, called it inside but outside Japan. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, so yeah, but you know that that moment under the Tori in two thousand five, mm. really just I, I could not have imagined in that moment just how much would change because of that. Mm. And now here I am with, uh, you know, like I like I say, I, you know, I, I here I am, you know, uh, seventeen years later with a an MA, a PhD, a bum knee, and a caffeine addiction. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and also a podcast about and a Shinto. Podcast about Shinto. <laughs> so how does one start out with Shinto if one was thinking, yeah, I really like it. Something mm. speaks to me about it. Like this, you must've been just like, okay, where does, where do I start now? Right. Exactly. Yeah, right. Like what's the first next step? With, and really, know, the curious to hear the, the yeah. hard, the hard part, the hard part for me, and a lot of folks I've spoken to since then who have tried to mentor, um, is you know if you're growing up in a household that's like oppressively Christian, and like I had parents who would have been very upset to find out that I had converted. Sure. How do you do it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the a lot of the folks in the online spaces that I have moderated over the years have been young and queer and on both counts already have to hide a lot of who and what they are. Okay. Right. So, you know, how do you do that? Well, you sort of try to try to like, for me, like looking back on it now, mm. what I would have told my younger self is try to understand that Shinto is deeply entwined with the mundane. This is right. not that God is out there, up there, god is here like the, mm. the kami kami is here it's yeah. all around it's you know it's like okay yeah gods multiple gods there are neighbors so mm. you know mm, mm, mm. let's try to be good neighbors to them mm. um understand that you know like i would i would have counseled my younger self understand that you live in uh as part of a, a you know a, a a web of with uh you know, in terms of your relations to other humans, to nature, and to the divine, you know, try to cultivate mm -hmm. harmony. Wah! Mm -hmm. Try to cultivate mm -hmm. wah. Um, and you know, beyond that, there's the more you know, there's the more mechanical aspects of how do I set up a kamidana, like a home yeah. household shrine. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how do I? What do I pray? You know, I, you know, I have a. Yeah. You know, what I does have, my schedule have, look like? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And sometimes, and really. Really, it can take it can take different forms, and I worry sometimes in the West, especially that people hear you know Shinto doesn't have any dogma, and they assume Shinto doesn't have any rules, which is very much not the case. Sure, sure, yeah. Mm. You know, there's a way of doing things. There are mm. things that are expected, um, particularly when you get into ritual. You know, yeah. this is sort of you know getting more on that on mm, that side, mm. but you know, in terms of just like day to day, like understand that it, it is, it's not this thing that happens in this special space once a week, you know, particularly yeah. for so many of us who come mm. from Christianity, it's sort of just there in the background of your life. Yeah. Mm. And really most mm. Japanese people, I, I would admit, like from what I saw when I was there, you know, wouldn't really, you know, bat an eyelash, right? It's like, oh yeah, the neighborhood shrine. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it's need right something, there. Drop in. Yeah. <laughs> need something, drop in. You don't yeah. have to particularly be yeah. involved with this shrine. You can drop mm. in. It's okay. For everyone. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like it was, yeah. Mm. Yeah. You, you have these, you have these like little roadside shrines. Like I used to go for long walks around my neighborhood in Sendai or Stride mm -hmm. National Route 4. And I remember that my definition of walking distance and the definite, like the study abroad office's definition of walking distance were very different. <laughs> because they said there are no shrines in walking distance of the student housing. Right. And I found like 10 the next right. day. Right, right. Um, but it was like this tiny, these tiny little things. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, road. who's, who's or, looking after this? Like, who's looking? There's some yeah. of them that nobody's looking after, sadly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we yeah. found one, um, 
like where I live here, we went on this random bush bashing walk and we're uh-huh. like, oh, there's something over there. And we sort of went off the path and went sort of over this hill. And we're like, there's a blooming little shrine here. Yeah. It's got a great view. It sort of was looking out over the valley. You can see why they put it there. But I'm like, who the hell looks after this? It's like, I, mm. yeah, it must be some a person who owns the mountain potentially who makes sure it's okay occasionally. But yeah, it was really surprising. Yeah. Some of the places you find them. And yeah, the, the neglected, forgotten ones as well with the vines climbing all over them and yeah. nobody's taken any care of it for years and it's sort of yeah. really sad as well yeah yeah oh my goodness. yeah it really is yeah. a shame it really yeah. is a shame right. you know i remember this one little shrine i think it was an ikazuchi shrine behind this cluster of billboards astride national route four and the doors of the little hokora had been smashed in and i could see the mirror inside mm. and i just like i it's like it was like, well, I felt a little bit like walking past someone's house that had just been burgled. It was like, oh, I am so sorry. Mm-hmm. I am so sorry people are idiots. Right. You know? So, yeah. So if someone is new to Japan, and, and I think, you know, when I first arrived in Japan, I was like, oh, is it okay to visit this shrine? Or, you know, like I didn't, I, I felt like I was trespassing the first mm. few times I went there and it took a while to get used to it. And I didn't know what to do. This was before mm-hmm. Google, obviously, um, where right. you could Google like how to, uh, you know, go to a shrine or look at a YouTube video, right? Um, but it definitely right. felt like I was trespassing. Um, and mm-hmm. that's not the case at all, right? The, the shrines yeah, are... Yeah are for anyone um yeah what would be your top tips for visiting a shrine to pay respects or to ask for something you know or maybe you have oh. a reason that you want to visit um need some you know you're you've got a big exam coming up or right, you're right. looking for love or whatever it is that we ask coming summer for um or maybe you're just passing by and you always thought oh, i'd love to go in there what would be your mm. top tip well there's the bit there's the basic there's the basic sort of the saho the you know the washing washing the hands washing the mouth in the in the purification basin um yes. before you go up into the up in front of the the, the um the um um the hyden um but uh you know try to you know and, and i understand that like you know times change and we have to change with them but like try to have you know, try to show a little bit of you know, try to show just a little bit of decorum you know I, yeah yeah, I, yeah. It, like mm. it, it, like I, I feel like this should go without saying but you know people are people are terrible um you know try to show a little bit of decorum like you don't have to you don't have to believe in any of it but just understand this is a this is a sacred place and just you know show some modicum of respect mm. um you know if you're going to make a request of the gods do i would say you know follow this the standard protocol of wash wash your hands wash your mouth and then go up um you know, which interestingly we can't mouth. we can't do anymore right They've exactly taken exactly ah, exactly exactly <laughs> exactly not to mention i mean goodness sakes not to mention some of the photos i've seen of some of the chosuya over the years mm-hmm. you know even before the pandemic just some of them just looked so gross like you know <laughs> yeah like right. some of them you just like really seemed like you know places places that aren't like actively like aggressively tended right Mm -hmm. where it's like overgrown with it's like mossy or what have you and like Mm. but like you know try to try to i guess like really what it would boil down to regardless of the specifics would be 
Yeah, this is the thing that Zoe and I often will counsel people. We will say, mm. you know, uh, understand that what matters the most is sincerity. Yeah. Do what you can with what you have and be sincere in how you approach the Kamisama and the Kamisama will understand. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Being sincere. Sure. It, yeah. You know, the, the situation requires that we do not share tools and spit water and all of that exactly, at the moment. Exactly. So exactly. that's understood. And yeah, that's a great explanation Although for it. Some mm. shrines are some shrines are adapting. I've actually I've actually heard of a couple that are doing like sort of an automated uh like a dispenser kind of deal. Oh nice. Where they right. like dispensing into cups. Okay. Um you know it's no, this is an, I, I can't remember which ones, but I, I have a I have a, a, a colleague uh, who is a, a priestess in Konkokyo down in Yogoska, mm -hmm. who uh, periodically will send, you know, news and items of curiosity my way. And mm. one of them was about, you know, some shrines, again, I can't remember which ones, have adapted the Chosuya to the needs of the pandemic. Sure. So it's, it's yeah. you know, it does... you know pay, like, I would say to people, like, pay attention to stuff like that. Like, you know, yeah. under, again, yeah. understand the times change and we have to change with them, mm. you know, mm -hmm. but, you know, sincerity and respect really goes a long way yeah yeah i have a um a, a sort of irrational connection with heian jingu in kyoto mm. Mm. so it's the first place i ever went to to do hatsumode the first mm. first hatsumode ever in japan and I was sort of, and it was a weird experience in that I was in Kyoto for New Year's Eve and we were walking around and looking at all the different temples and shrines and things. And for some reason, we were being drawn down the road towards mm. the Heian Jingu. And mm. we ended up being outside Heian Jingu after, uh, at midnight. And so we waited there and we did our first Hatsumode of prayers for the new year there. And things I wished for and sort of was like, you know, because uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, okay, I, I've got this guy I really like and I want him to, <laughs> I want to be together with him. Tick that off. Uh, my father was really ill and I was like, I want him to, you know, stay well for longer. I knew he had terminal cancer, but um, all these things I wished for kind of worked out. And I was like, mm -hmm. wow, there's some powerful mojo here at this at the shrine so a year later we went back and we did uh we said thank you for yeah yeah for what what happened like i went back a year later and i said thank you for um you know this relationship i now have with them with this man and my father is mm -hmm. still uh, still you know keeping going so and all of that mm -hmm. and then uh in 2011 you remember what happened in 2011. Yes, all yeah. too well. All <laughs> yeah, too well. right. And so I'm in Fukushima, right? And I'm pregnant with my first child. And yeah. we had to leave, obviously. We couldn't stay here in Uwaki City. Right. So my husband's from Kyoto. So uh, not Kyoto, uh, Totori, past, okay. past Kyoto. And so we, we decided we needed to leave. And so we drove. And we drove to Heianjingu. Mm-hmm. And that, so we went to, we were like, well, we're going to Kyoto. Let's go to Heianjingu. So we went to Heianjingu and we were like, thank you for whatever delivering us from what, whatever happened. And could you please stop the nuclear meltdown as well? Well, <laughs> thank you. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, um, and a safe birth for me. And 
somehow it all worked out. And yeah, yeah, yeah. so then we took my daughter back there when Hampshire was born. Thank you. Here's my daughter who was born safely. Yeah. It was this long, this really random, but very long lasting relationship with this particular shrine, which is Heianjingo. I don't know why. It's just really weird. These things happen. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I, I like to tell that story. There's a lot of, um, sort of like i'd call it magic but something something there yeah, right something. yeah something yeah. yeah yeah goodness me yeah so you're not in japan right now yeah unfortunately Do you have any plans no. to get back here i am so desperate to get back oh, i know to you're one of the people like, who want to be first in line to get on the plane right i mean really really it's a matter of money you know it's yeah. a matter of like well not just money but primarily it's a matter of money and time and health you know i i you know, there's things that i need to there are things that i need to account for um that i didn't the last time i was there mm-hmm. you know i'm pushing 40 now and i you know i have to have to be uh cognizant of you know some of the some of my my needs that i didn't have before you know i i wear a knee brace now mm-hmm. i you know i i deal with i deal with uh, chronic pain you know i have you know, there are medications that I have to marshal and there's accommodations mm. that I have to marshal. And, you know, it's, it's very complicated, but like bottom, bottom line is like, as soon as I can line all of that up, mm. I am going to come back to Sendai. And I, like I, in my head, I can see it very clearly. Like the first thing I'm going to do is that after I have deposited my belongings in my accommodations, I mm. am going to, I am going to go to Sendai station mm-hmm. and I'm going to go out onto Albadori. Mm-hmm. I am going to walk the two and a half miles to Kameoka Hachimangu, go up the 360 stone steps. Right. And probably fall to my knees at that point. Right. <laughs> but it will be in a good cause. Right. Because anyway. I will have finally, t- because I will have finally closed the circle. Yes, I will yes. have finally come back. Like this is like, I, 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 some, <laughs> It's 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 interesting. Like given these given these spiritual connections and professional connections, um, there are a lot of folks out there who think that I am from Sendai. Right. I am. I am not. I call it my hometown. I'm not from mm. there. But it's the first place I felt like I like that I actually could embrace on my own terms, yeah. and not because my my parents dragged me there or because of you know what have mm. you. This is sort of the phenomenon of the third culture kids in general. I know. Mm. Um, you know, that you really don't, it may take you a while to feel like there's a place that's yours. So for me, that yeah. was Sendai, but, wow. um, you know, and when the, when the tsunami happened in 2011, mm. it was really wild. Like I, first time I saw my Japanese teacher after that for seminar, um, you know, we were, I can't remember what, because one of the things that Pitt did right was that it had this option for one-on-one Japanese instruction for grad students where you mm-hmm. parse through a text that you're particularly needing for your research. Mm-hmm. So my teacher is from, my teacher actually is from Tottori, from Sakai Minato. Um, okay, right. And um, so we sat down and he, he asked me if I was okay. And, and I said, I don't know. And he said, you know, um, the, the local uh, the local TV station you know interviewed me about the tsunami and asked me if I knew anyone from Sendai and you were the first to come to mind mm. and I was like eh, uh. I'm touched <laughs> I'm touched the the irony is the irony is he actually had a colleague who was from who's who was actually born in Sendai sure but it's right. just like it was like it kind of blew my mind that he would think of me first isn't it interesting <laughs> yeah 
that you... yeah 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 like it it, yeah. it left an imprint it yeah. left an imprint mm. um you know it, it it just but it's very important to me to like make that return and to oh, finally yes. be back I can again and feel i can feel how that must feel to be away from there for you yeah it it hurts it yeah. it hurts it, it hurts. hurts like it mm. it's going on 20 years now it's like 17 mm. going on 20 years pretty soon mm. it hurts and i don't know if i'm going to be able to get back honestly like i mm. you know I, I am an independent author but uh you know that is subject to the whims of the market and the my ability to get new gigs and yeah yeah you know uh but i'd like to think i could make it happen and yeah that's i plan to go to, i plan to go and make my report to the ujigami sama uh, mm. the first first thing and then to cross the cross back down the road up the switchback path up mount alba and then to go and greet date masamune at his equestrian <laughs> statue right which is not there right now because they're repairing it yeah because it nearly like toppled off didn't it in the one of the many I, my, my, shocks we've had <laughs> my co-host my my clara co-host zoe when i told when i told her about that uh, i just i was just in, i was just in panic mode because this is the symbol of the city this is like sure, something yeah. i have taken great strength from mm. uh you know sendai has been has been has been so ravaged by natural desert like and studying mm. the boshin history and earlier it just it, it blew my mind just how often it had been hammered and hammered and hammered by, by natural disaster natural and famine disasters. and war mm. and then another war and mm. and it just kept coming back mm. but then this this statue that's the symbol of the city and its strength and its and its history was damaged and i just i was in panic mode and i went this i told zoe about this and you know, for those who don't know, Date Masamune, the city's founder, was mm. very, was, <laughs> how do I, I like to put it, a consummate lover of people of all genders. Oh, it, it interesting. Was, he, was, he was what we queer folk call a disaster by. Um, a disaster and, by. <laughs> and so, so Zoe's reaction, just without missing a beat, was, wow, the old man's looking a lot less straight than usual, huh? Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so that cheered me up just a bit. Oh, um, my but yeah, I imagine that by the time I get back, it'll be back. And oh, uh, I'm I sure. Can, yeah, I can yeah. go and pay my respects there too. Mm -hmm. Well, this seems like a good time to segue into you telling us about your next book, which is mm. coming out very soon. Mm. Yes, uh, uh, Confluence: A Person-Shaped Story, which is a translation of its Japanese title, Goryu Ningyoki. Okay, and what's this and book about? It is it is a cyberpunk novel that is set in well, it's not just in Ishinomaki, but the protagonist lives in Ishinomaki, and there's different parts of it that happen on Sabusawa Island and the Urato chain in Matsushima Bay. There's parts of it that happen in Sendai, there's parts of it that happen elsewhere that I won't talk about because that would spoil the story. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's it's about a it's about a cyborg. Uh, who is this formerly American-born uh, uh, a queer woman who, and I'm kind of like, I'm, it's, I'm getting into a little bit of autobiographical stuff here, but just, sure. you know, uh, uh, this, 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 this American-born queer woman who becomes a cyborg out of a desire to protect um, and uh, be of use to her Japanese spouse. Mm. And then along the way, they find that there are other cyborgs whose um, 
chassis whose parts have mm. been made by a now defunct company who are in need and who have been abandoned by the whims of capitalism and of uh, government exigency, mm-hmm. and that there's more under the surface than meets the eye. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, what this began as was me sort of screaming into the wind earlier this year and just telling myself a story in the interest of writing something that was set in Sendai and in and around Sendai and just sort of also talking my way through, you know, okay, I am a trauma survivor. I am a daughter of a diaspora. And putting myself back together is something that's very important to me. It's something that like, I'm tired of, like I, like I was saying I, at the time, like I'm tired of dragging my brokenness around. What if I put it all back together in a new shape? Hmm. And so I took the cyborg conversion as sort of a, an allegory. Right. Like, you know, putting the brokenness together mm. into a new shape. And it really was interesting to me that the term ningyo, um, doll in Japanese, yeah. um, is written shito no katachi, shape of person. Yes, yes. So it's like, you know, this idea of like, and I kind of like thought of it as, okay, you know, if I'm, as I was telling myself this story, you know, I thought of it like, okay, well, you know, if I, if I'm, if I feel like I'm broken and I'm putting myself back into a new, into a new shape, maybe just being person shaped is enough, you know? Right. Um, mm. You know, just per- permission to be imperfect, permission to not yeah. fit the hard lines, you yeah. know? Um, and so it ran away with itself and it grew a plot and it grew a cast and, you know, and before I knew it, there were these, there were these, there were these national stakes and, and, uh, you know, and the sort of fate of the world kind of stuff that was yeah, happening. Yeah. Um, and it just, it just like, you know, like I say in the introduction, before I knew it, I had 50,000 words written and I didn't know what to do with them. Right. Um, but it's going to be a book. Uh, it's, I'm also very proud of the fact that this is, and I'm following the example of Japanese authors that I really admire primarily you know, top of the list is Asada Jiro, uh, who was, takes great pains in writing characters who speak in different dialects. Oh, um, nice. All right. So yeah. my novel is in English and it's got sort of bracketed subtitles okay. uh, in line with the, with the dialogue. But, you know, my protagonist is Armenian American and speaks standard Japanese. Her yeah. spouse is born in Ishinomaki and does speak English and Hyojungo, but speaks Sendai Ben out of spite. Um, <laughs> right. Much later in the story, we meet the protagonist's great aunt, like, or the memory of her, who speaks in a mostly now uh, sadly lost dialect of Western Armenian. Right. Um, and it's important to me as a child of diaspora who code switches all the time mm. to write this into the kind of fiction that I write because that's my lived experience. Wow. You know, yeah. Not everybody's yeah, going to yeah. speak English all the time. Not, sure. everybody's, not everybody's going to speak standard Japanese all of the time. Yeah. What does that yeah. look like? Yeah, yeah. Fascinating that you have co- you have created this from just this feeling that you had that you needed to put yourself back together. And now you have a book and yeah. a story and characters. Yeah. And, and Shinto, Shinto fits into yeah. this as well. Okay. Uh, there's, there's some very important, there's some very important scenes that happen at my home shrine. Uh, right. There's a, there's a Hatsumode. Um, there's a uh, prayer for safe childbirth. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's Omamori that kind of that appear at a couple points in the story is important. Mm. Uh, you know, physical objects in the in the narration. 
um, you know, it's it, this is sort of woven in as part of part of the part of the narrative because it's again part of my lived experience. Yeah. Uh, you know, in some respect, mm. it's it's also been it's also been useful to have the feedback of my Clara co-host Zoe um, because. Um, her perspective is different than mine because I am a Hachiman Ujiko, but she is an Inari Ujiko. Um, okay. And so, so Inari having, Jinja. Yeah, Inari Jinja, and spit, her her official affiliation is with Fushimi Inari Taisha, but mm. uh, when she is able to, she would like to instead have it be with Takekoma Inari in Miyagi Prefecture, mm, okay. um, which is the one of the other big Inari in Japan. I think it's one of three big ones in mm. Japan. Um, <laughs> But having her perspective as a, as somebody who is part of a different shrine faith, sort yeah. of sort of to balance yeah. things out for me, has been very constructive, mm. and it really does very well also on the podcast. Like, you know, yeah. I, I could talk about Hachiman faith till the cows come home, but um, you know, but having having Zoe to sort of you know have an interplay with of like you know these are two different faiths under the umbrella. Mm. of Shinto mm. and how do our practices differ? How are they similar? Mm. Um, really, I think is, is very, is very uh, helpful. And it sort of, I think, gives the, gives the show a little bit more of a, of a charm. Mm -hmm, definitely. So how many Ujiko would you say there are in this English speaking community that you have, that you're growing, obviously, like, <sighs> Honestly, I couldn't tell you how many of them are actually Ujiko and how many of them are just listeners. Um, okay, know, that, well, how many do you know who are Ujiko? Yeah, that I, definitely Ujiko. Of yeah. Hachiman faith, I I have only met two. Wow. We are in the, even in the United States, we are in the extreme minority. Mm -hmm. In the United States, there is Tsubaki Shrine in Washington State, and mm. there is now uh, Shusei Nari Jinja in Los Angeles. Okay. That's it. Interesting. And I'm surprised there are so, any. So, you, yeah, really, you, right? It's, you know, <laughs> the, in the, the in the, con in the continental United States, that's it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you know, it, it it's great for the United faith folks, and it's great for the Tsubaki faith folks, but that doesn't really help me very much. Right. Um, and so I've only known two other people uh, in the United States who are Hachiman Uchiko. Um, both of them, like me, are queer. Uh, mm. So we bonded over that too. Mm. Um, but, you know, so I've sort of had to fall in with the other, other folks of other faiths within sure. that umbrella of Shinto. So mm -hmm. a lot of folks I know are Inari Ujiko or are um, uh, Temangu Ujiko. Mm. Um, I couldn't give you numbers there because not my, not my particular mm. set. Yeah. You know, not know, my particular, right. you know, mm. but I've, I was just I've wondering, is it way like more? hundreds or thousands or you know i like, would estimate i would you know if i had to like just you know spitball just, number, yeah say um, a number you know uh <laughs> i would guess that we're in the thousands in oh, north america surprising and to all like for all of us um for all of us there's probably you know okay how many would there be um there's bearish sensei in washington there's um Segawa Sensei in Los Angeles, and there's Kanawa Sensei uh, closer to me in Maryland, and mm. that's it. Three mm. people, three licensed kanushi. Right. The entire North American continent. Are they in other countries as well? 
Like, I wouldn't expect there to be anybody outside Japan practicing Shinto. You'd yes? be surprised. Mm. There's a there's a Jinja in San Marino. There's a Jinja <laughs> in the Netherlands. No way. Um, there's apparently a very recently established one in Taiwan, even. Okay. Ooh, interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, outside the continental U.S. in Hawaii, there are actually many Jinja. Um, okay. yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of them. Um, sure. Along with Japanese Buddhist temples, mm-hmm. but that's a little bit less surprising given the history there. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's actually there's actually quite a few. The problem I think in North America, and I, I'm not entirely I'm not too intimately familiar with the history, but my understanding is that there have been more of a footprint that may have grown into more of an established presence. But then the Second World War happened, and sure. one of the thing one one of the groups of people in the United States that were, you know, subject to along with the general Japanese American population were subject to incarceration, were specifically Shinto priests. Sure, yeah. Given the role of state Shinto at the time, you know, it's it, it's like I can see how the U.S. government would have rationalized that. That's what doesn't make it right, but it just you know, it, yeah. it, it, yeah. it is like, I can see why they would rationalize that to themselves, but they're having done that very significantly curtailed what would have otherwise been a more established presence coming out of the 1940s. Right. And so basically from nothing, there was a new wave that, uh, right. that, yeah. uh, that, 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 that uh, uh, had to pick up. And so now there's two in the continental US. I see. Right. Yeah, that makes sense now that you say that. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, I'm thinking from my New Zealand background where we don't really see a lot of international religions in my mm-hmm. own country. It's not really a thing. But I guess in the United States, there are a lot of, as you grew up in the Armenian diaspora church, yeah. uh, Protestant yeah. church, as you said, and there's a lot of imported religions happening yeah. in yeah. America. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Japan is there as well, but not in the presence that it might have had, had the world yeah. not come along. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that is interesting. Well, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show today. I've had thank s- you for having me. such a huge learning curve about a lot of things. <laughs> thank you for letting me ask you all about things about Tohoku as well. And I really feel mm-hmm. your connection with Tohoku so strongly, even myself, I can feel it over here sitting in Fukushima. So I'm mm-hmm. crossing fingers and doing all those things, thinking, how can we get you back to Japan? I yeah. would like that and very much. You, yeah, get to a point where you're able to come back and really enjoy your trip back to your other home. Yeah. 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 All righty. Well, we'll keep in touch and we'll look forward to your book coming out soon. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed the episode with Nairi. I'm just so touched by how much she loves Sendai and all of the history of Japan, which she explained a lot to me actually before we, before I press record. And, <laughs> and we had a great chat about the history of Tohoku and I was able to ask her a few things about my area where we actually don't have a lot of uh, recordings of history here. So that was really great to connect with her over that and to hear a little bit more about Shinto, what it's like to practice Shinto. And I did not know that there were actually shrines outside of Japan. That was surprising. 
Also, Nairi's new book, which is coming out, sounds like it's going to be very interesting, especially if you know the area of Sendai, Nishinomaki, where it's set. And I can't say I've ever read something in that genre before, but I'm really looking forward to reading it when it comes out. And you can find the link to that website where you can find out about the book when it comes out in November in the show notes. Also, yeah, if you enjoy the show today, why not say hi to Nairi on one of the platforms of social media and say you heard her on the show. I'm sure she'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening today. We'll see you again soon. Bye bye.